in our day and age, there's so many things kind of fighting against us. Everything we could, you know, we could talk about social media. We could talk about the the way that we're always moving. Part of how college feels is you just left this context you grew up in, or and try to enter into this new context. There are a lot of different reasons we can say, but I really want to like focus in here because I think for so many reasons, like this friendship is God's design to deal with our loneliness. Friendship is God's design to let us experience His love. Um, my friend Jeb Ralston had this great quote. I said a great quote. He was on Twitter. Jeb's intern at UConn. Um, it was a great quote. But he was talking about how basically we've reversed this idea. And what we've done in the individualistic age is we've put all the eggs in the basket of marriage and romance. Instead, this is what he said. He said, um, in our deeply individualistic age, romance and community have flip-flopped. Romance is now essential, essential, and community is now optional. And what's really fascinating is, is Jesus says that's actually not true. Like Jesus, being a single man himself, said actually, the Bible actually says God has something for us. It says community is actually essential. Romance is optional. And what I want to do is, is really do friendship for two weeks because I want to talk about how important it is. Tonight what I want to do is think about it from more of a philosophical, that's not the right word, but more from like a, a, a heady like bigger overview picture. And then next week I want to get way more practical. Like how do you actually do friendship practically as a freshman slash senior all the way, however, wherever you are in the spectrum right now. But tonight let's just think about friendship in general. And to do that, I want to read a passage from John 15. This is where Jesus is, if you know the Bible at all, Jesus has gathered his disciples and he in the upper room and he's actually just teaching them. It's a really sweet, like John 13 all the way to John 17, is this really sweet picture of Jesus. He knows his death is right, right, is literally days away. He gathers his best friends in this upper room, and he just teaches them. And, he, and really, he's teaching them, in tonight's passage, he's teaching them about love, a.k.a. he's teaching them about friendship. And here's what he had to say. John 15, 12 to 17, send your hand out. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, namely to love one another. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let me pray for us, and then I want to dive in, thinking about friendship tonight. Let's pray first. Uh, Jesus, we need you to, to gather us like you gathered those disciples. And by your Spirit, as you fill your, uh, this room with your Spirit, would you teach us about love and friendship? Would you teach us what it means um, to be a true follower um, to be someone who loves uh, not only you well, but loves others well. Would you give us, um, Lord, you're the one who comes and you you humble the proud and you lift up the discouraged. Uh, Lord, some of us are really, really lonely. And would you be the one who comes and reminds us that you really are a friend who, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or some of us come and we've, we're like really excited to be here. We feel like we're making all kinds of new friends. And Lord, let us rejoice that this is your goodness to us. This is your grace to us. How, whatever way we come this, tonight, would you meet us? Would you speak with us? Would you reason with us? Uh, would you do this as the one who calls yourself the friend of sinners? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name.
Amen. So uh, my good friend Matt Howell tells what has become one of my favorite stories about relationships ever. And it's about uh, when he was in high school, he had a friend who, true story, asked, got the courage to ask a girl that he'd kind of been crushing on out on a date, and he asked her to the movies. But I guess he's thinking, he's a little nervous about just doing it one-on-one. So he also invites his best friend to go to the movies with them, which is maybe a little weird, but really important for the story. So here they are, the three of them. They're in the movie, sitting in the row, watching the movie, eating popcorn. 30 minutes into the movie, he gets the courage to make his move. He puts his hand out there, at, you know, at, gently asking, pleading, if you will. Will you hold my hand? He doesn't say it, but it's communicated through his body, if you will. She does. He is euphoric. The, the crush that he has been crushing on is holding his hand, and they are watching this movie, and he, can, I mean, you've been there. Some of us have been there. Is there a better feeling? Yes, <laughs> but it's up there, right? It's up there. So as he's holding her hand, he's watching the movie, 30 more minutes go by, he leans in, this is a true story, he leans in to whisper something to her, and he notices something strange, that her other hand is also being held by, her, by his friend. And so here's this girl, don't know what she's thinking, but she's holding... <laughs> I love this image. She's holding both the guy's hands. Surely she knows it's not going to end well. But I love this, and Matt makes this great point, where this, that feeling, he went in a span of two hours from the best parts of not just relationship, but the, best, the euphoric parts of relationship to like the lowest, the lowest levels of betrayal and anger and sadness. And the, the further thought that Matt didn't make this point, but that I keep thinking about is, how did that friendship go from, from that point on? You know what I mean? Like, how did that friendship, I, like, the part of the story I really want to know is, what did, they, what did those guys do after this happened? Friendship is a weird thing. Um, and what I want to do tonight is, I hope you get a little bit of a taste of how weird and hard it can be. Um, but I want to do three things, thinking about John 15, that I think are important as we take a big picture view of friendship, and they're... They're pretty simple. The first, I want to talk about how we underestimate friendship. The second, I want to talk about how we overestimate friendship. And then lastly, I want to talk about the key to good friendships. Uh, so how we underestimate friendship, how we overestimate friendship, and lastly, the key uh, to good friendship. So first, how we underestimate it. All right, so C.S. Lewis, we're going to go to a lot of C.S. Lewis tonight, because one of the most important books that's ever been done on, on relationship is his book, The Four Loves. And he makes, when he gets to the chapter on, on, on friendship, he makes this really fascinating point. As he says, there, you would not be here, he talks about the four loves, two of which are uh, eros and affection. And he says, you would not be here without eros. Your parents fell in love and conceived you out of passionate romantic love. You wouldn't be here without eros. And you wouldn't be here either without affection because your parents raised you with an affection. They reared you with an affection. But he says, when you think about friendship, it's actually totally unnecessary. Friendship serves no, if we can use this word, evolutionary function. Friendship serves actually no really meaningful function. Friendship, sort of when you look at it just objectively, seems to be totally unnecessary. You don't need friendship to survive. And yet, Jesus in John 15, he's expounding on something he said in John 13, which is fascinating. Remember John 13 where he says, the world will know you are my disciples by your crushingly good apologetics. 
your acute theology, your Facebook diatribes, your love. <laughs> he says, the world, will know, the world will know you belong to me, a.k.a. the world will know that what it means to know and be known by God, to love and be loved by God, by your friendship, by the way you do friendship. That's how, that's the, Jesus says, this is, you got to hear this. Jesus says, unnecessary, yet is it unnecessary? Because the world will know you know me by the way you do friendship with each other. God's purpose in friendship is twofold, and this is the way we underestimate it. His purpose in friendship is to show us two things. One is the beauty of the fullness of the array, the, the vast array of the different kinds of personalities that he's made, all reflecting his image. But also, in the second hand, to show us the power this is the power of friendship, of being freely, cho- freely chosen and freely loved for really no good reason at all. So first, think about those two things with me. First, the beauty. Here's the beauty that we underestimate about friendship. Is bad friendship is when we do that thing, and a lot of us do it. Did you ever see that SNL skit? It's long. It's worth looking up. It was called Me Harmony, and the whole thing was about it was an SNL character, and they had found the like, girl or guy version of themselves. And so, like, they had, like, would talk about how, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't know what love was until I met girl me, and I didn't know what love was until I met guy me. And I think sometimes that's how we think about friendship. And sometimes bad friendship is when we do you 2.0. Good friendship, beautiful friendship, is when you are friends with someone who is totally other than you, who has a different perspective, different personality, and they can bring things out of you that others can't bring out, and they can show you things about yourself that you can't see, and they can show you things about Jesus that you can't see, and they can show you things about life and the world that you can't see. There's a beauty in the way that, the, that there, there's a diff, in our difference of the personalities and friendship. Here's the way that Lewis said it. It's a long quote. It's in your bulletin, but it's worth reading. Stay with me. Here's what he said. He said, We think we have chosen our peers, but in reality, a few years difference in the dates of our births a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, I love this, to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship, I love the way Lewis capitalizes friendship. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out, but it is the instrument, listen, it is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. They are like all beauties derived from him and then in a good friendship increased by him through the friendship itself. Part of what God's doing, part of what we understand is the beauty of friendship, the beauty of knowing more about God through being friends with people who are different than you, yet in Christ with you. But also, we underestimate the power, and that's what Jesus is getting at. That we underestimate the power of, 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 of friendship that says, I choose you. I see you. I like you. You know, like... Not like 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 you, but like I like I'm a, have affectionate I'm affectionate toward you. I want to know your story, and let's be fr- let's move toward friendship. Let's be friends uh, of being chosen and freely loved. Listen, you have to love your parents. You have to love your siblings. You don't have to love your friends. I mean, some of you, some of you don't. We're gonna get there. 
but the gift of friendship is loving someone that is not doesn't deserve your love and being loved by someone who you don't deserve their love. Um, and this is what Jesus is getting at when he's saying the world will know us by our friendship. There's a story that I just came across that I love about Shah Abbas of Persia. He lived a while ago. And he was the Shah, so he was in a position of wealth and power. And because he was in that position of wealth and power, he got really, really frustrated at his inability to make friends. No one really wanted to be his friend because he was in this unique, powerful position. And so one day he was so tired of not having any, any intimate friendships that he actually decided he was going to disguise himself and go down to the servants' quarters to see if there was someone that might just have a conversation with him. What ends up happening is he ends up talking, getting in this long conversation with the guy whose job was to stoke the fire that kept the palace heated. And so he ends up in this conversation with this stoker, for lack of a better word. And this goes on. They, they meet week after week. He gets disguise, takes off his royal robes, gets in servant's garb, goes down and has a conversation with the stoker. And finally he decides that they've gotten really, really close. They've become really close friends. And he decides it's time to reveal his true identity. And so he says one night, he says, I am Abba's, your Shah, and you are my friend, so I want to give you anything you ask for up to half my kingdom. And here's what the stoker said. He said, you've already given me the most precious thing this life affords, your friendship. I ask for nothing more. We underestimate the beauty and the power of friendship. But then also, we overestimate what friendship can do for us. And this is where, this is the problem. The problem for you and I is that we approach friendship not thinking in this way, not thinking with gratitude, not thinking with grace. We approach it as consumers and as worshipers. Let me explain that. So the weird part of our passage is that Jesus actually commands them to love one another. Like, there are so many questions we could ask. Can love be commanded? That's a question for another time. But the question I want to ask is, why does love have to be commanded? Because Jesus knows the fickleness of our hearts. Jesus knows that that's the kind of friendship that is beautiful and powerful, the kind of friendship that is a ministry, is not the kind of friendship that we want. We are satisfied with a, like, not even the B version, but like the C version of friendship. Um, there's a scene in this movie I just watched with Scott recently called Maggie's Plan. And the, the character, Greta Gerwig, she's grew up Quaker, had a kind of a tragic life, but she's in this, she's, she's a fascinating character to me because she can't admit that she's wrong ever. And so she ends up in this place where she wrecks a marriage in her quest to love this guy she thinks she's in love with and then decides she doesn't like the guy anymore, so she tries to give him back, give him back to his ex-wife, which is, I think, hilarious and funny in a lot of ways. But there's a scene where her friend Bill Hader, they're having this conversation, and he's, he's really just... Tell, just saying, speaking truth, not too harshly, but just very directly about how selfish she's being and how like dumb she's being, how foolish she's being. And there's this moment that I love him, as he's saying this in this most sincere way. Her Maggie says, her character says, you're not being my friend right now. And I love that because I relate to it. Is We don't have a vision of friendship that says, you can rebuke me. It's the Oscar Wilde thing where it's best, a friend is someone who stabs you in the front. We don't have a vision of friendship that says, I need you to call me out. I need you to say hard things to me. And the reason is that Jesus is commanding us to love each other because he knows that if we, if we don't hang our friendship on something bigger and more objective, we're going to ruin friendship with our subjective, fickle selfishness. 
which is what a lot of us have done, for being honest. College, for me, was ruining some friendships. Because I didn't really love my friends. I, I used my friends. I gathered people around me, and I still struggle with this, who, who made me have fun and a good time. I didn't love them. And it was hard to admit that. It took me years to admit that. Uh, it took my roommate telling me literally uh, just a few years ago, he was like, Sammy, every time, do you realize this about yourself? He's like, every time I brought the groceries in, he was like, you never, first of all, you never bought groceries. I always bought the groceries. And I was like, really? He was like, yes. And then he's like, every time I brought them in, you would do the same thing. He was like, I would buy the milk. You never bought milk. I always bought the milk. I would literally bring the groceries in, put the milk on the counter. And the first thing you did, I literally didn't remember this. The first thing you did was you're like, man, thanks. You would walk over to the milk, pour yourself a huge glass, drink it, and then put the milk in the fridge. And he said, it used to piss me off so bad. And I was like, fair enough. <laughs> didn't see that about myself. Why? Because I was, I was approaching my friendship like a consumer. Let's talk about that first. There are two ways that we overestimate friendship. First is we approach it like consumers. In other words, we actually think, this is what most of you think, friendship exists, your friends exist to make you happier, to make your life easier, to make your life better, um, to make your, your life uh, just more doable. And so when you approach it like that, when a friend ceases to be useful to you, when they don't make you feel better, when they aren't there for you, which let's define there for you, when they, uh, AKA, okay, I'm not going to say AKA, that's my third time. Um, when, they don't do, when they don't do what you want them to do for you, you cut them out. When they, when they cease to be useful to you, or they just generally do something you don't care for, you bail. Uh, this is the way I kept thinking about it. So I've recently gotten really into coffee. And so because of that, I've, starting, I've started to make all these purchases. So my first uh, purchase was I snagged a legit burr grinder off of eBay. I was pretty proud of myself. Saved myself about 50 bucks. Today, I just got in the mail a digital scale to start weighing my beans. Um, I'm looking now. I'm in the market for a pour-over pour top and a gooseneck. Uh, not just a gooseneck kettle, but a gooseneck variable temp electric kettle. <laughs> electric kettle. I blame Scott Vion for all of this. Um, I've started buying beans from, like, the top-rated roasters in America. Like, I listen to my, like, I hear myself. I really do hear myself. But here's my point. I have a point with this. The point is, I've been into coffee for a while. And I look at my, my little um, kitchen island, and I have all these sad coffee products now that are just left behind. Little Italian mocha pot, two little French presses. They're just sitting there. This old, faithful French press grinder, just sitting there. It's like Toy Story. They know their day has come. <laughs> and what I want you to see is, a lot of you, this is exactly how you do friendship. Your friends, some of you, have ceased to be useful to you, and so you've just sort of been like, let me tuck you away. Let me just tuck you away over here. All right, see you later. You're out of my life now. All right, new friends, let's do this, right? We do it like a consumer. The other way we do it, well, the other way we overestimate friendship is we do it like a worshiper. And what I mean by that is you expect, some of you expect way too much out of your friendships. Some of you have put God-sized expectations on your friends. And the, this is what we call, in psycholo psychological terms, a codependent relationship, where you don't actually love each other. You're enmeshed. And you don't actually have separate, beautiful personalities. You're trying to like make each other your identity. And what I want to say to you is that God alone can bear the weight of your identity. And you, can, you won't start being a good friend 
And so you actually see your friend can't complete you. Your friend can't. Like, they can join God in his faithfulness to you, but I want you to see this always going to be imperfectly. And what a lot of us do, what I've certainly done a lot in my life, is try to put the weight of my identity in another person, namely in a friendship. And the way you know you're doing it is you actually get really, really jealous when another friend tries to join your twosome or, like, another, like a, a, another friend tries to join your th- threesome or fourthsome, like you, however you want to say it, when another friend gets in. Because true friendship looks like, I love you, you're beautiful, you're man God's image, and I love when this new person, who maybe I'm not friends with, but I love to see your friendship because this friend brings out of you something that I can't bring out of you. And part of how you know you're in a codependent relationship is other people are actually threats and they've got to go. And part of you, what are you, some of you are doing that. We overestimate friendship. So what do we do with all this? Um, this is the last thing I want you to see. Is what do we do with this? And this is where I want you to see, lastly, the key to a good friendship. And the question that these disciples, as Jesus has gathered them and he's, he's preaching to them, he's teaching them about love and friendship, the question they have to be asking is, Jesus, where in the world are we going to get the power and the courage to do this kind of love that you're asking us to do, to do this kind of friendship that you're asking us to do? How are we not going to get cynical on the one hand or romantic on the other hand? How are we going to, in this really beautiful way, do this a friendship that is both humble and bold? Um, and Jesus gives it to us when he says something profound. And I just want to focus on it for a minute because I think we say it and miss it sometimes. He says that sweet line, I no longer call you my servants, but I call you my, my friends. So just stay with me for a moment about the difference between servants and friends. Just last night we were at a Labor Day party at my friend's house, and it's one of, those old, one of the older houses in Columbia. And so in the house, if you go into the upstairs, the second story, there are two staircases. And my friend was telling me, I didn't know this, I always wondered why there were two staircases. And he said the reason the two staircases were built was the staircase on the right was for the family and the staircase on the left was for the servants. It was so that the servants and the family didn't unnecessarily, their lives didn't you know, unnecessarily overlap or interact. Why? Because servants know their place. Like a servant, if you're a servant, you're there to serve the family. You're there to make the family's life easier. But you know in your heart that, that to be a good servant means to be agreeable, joyful, dutiful, all that. But a good servant knows something crucial about their relationship with their master. You know to keep your distance. Why? <laughs> Because you know your job and your livelihood is actually dependent upon your performance. A servant realizes the relationship is dependent upon their performance. And Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. You are my servants. We're called to serve the Lord gladly, absolutely. But we're more than that. I call you my friends. Think about just what, what a friend is. You know, a friend is someone who, who doesn't keep their distance. A friend is someone who you actually hate it when there's distance between you. A, a friend is someone who you've granted, this is the most important thing to get, you've granted not distance but access into your life, into your heart, into you. A friend is someone that you let in to your, your thoughts and your heart, your dreams, your, your desires. And Jesus is saying something really important. He's saying, do you realize this is the kind of access that I've given you to me? I don't like it when you keep your distance from me. I love, I love to let you into my life. That's why Jesus says, everything my Father has shown me, I've shown to you. I haven't, hold, I haven't held anything in my life back from you. And Jesus literally is going to not hold anything back as he goes to the cross and literally gives, shows his friends that he literally loves them to death. And we've got this kind of access to him, his, his life, his heart to him. 
I'll close with this. If you've been already for very long, you've, you've no doubt heard this illustration, but it's one of my favorites, and I can't not share it. So Harry Potter, favorite scene in Harry Potter is the scene where Dobby meets Harry for the first time. And you know the scene, or I hope you know the scene, where Dobby has that great line where he's come to meet Harry Potter, the one who's going to defeat Voldemort, the one who's going to win the whole thing, the, the, the most eminent person in all of not just Hogwarts, but all, all of um, all time. And Dobby does that thing where he meets Harry Potter and he says this beautiful line. He says, Dobby has heard of your greatness, but of your goodness, Dobby never knew. Because what Dobby's surprised by, if you remember, is the, the kindness and the friendship of Harry. That Harry doesn't relate to him as a, as a master and a servant. That Harry relates to him as a friend who cares for, who, who invites Dobby into his heart and wants to know the heart of Dobby. And what happens with Dobby is the most beautiful thing. Dobby's empowered not just to stand up to his slavish master, his evil master, but Dobby is, gets courage. He gets courage and joy to go and live and be brave. And what I want you to see is this, your friendship with Jesus, who lets you all the way in, who says, I hate distance between us. I've given you everything. I want you to know me, to enjoy me. It's our friendship with Jesus, who calls himself the friend of sinners, who pursues you, you know, even when you're cold, cold, cold toward him, who doesn't relate to you depa- de- dependent on your performance, but relates to you dependent on what he's done for you. This is the Jesus who gives you the power to forgive your friends. This is the Jesus that gives you the power to step out in courage and make new friends. This is the Jesus that calls you to stay in it with the friends that he's already given you, that he'll give you the strength and the power. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to pick up again with friendship more practically next week. Let's pray first. Uh, Jesus, uh, would you continue to meet us in this place, even as we go from here? We thank you that you're the one who tells us your word uh, doesn't return to us to you void, that you really do work it into our hearts and lives. Lord, would you take the little bit uh, that we've talked about and looked at tonight, and would you continue to uh, make our hearts good soil, that you might bring forth fruit that is pleasing to you and good for the kingdom. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Stand.